The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Please turn the Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 16, or your Bible apps. And there are Bibles in the back, too, if you need a Bible. Exodus is easy to find in the second book of the Bible. Exodus, chapter 16. You also have an insert in your announcements. I want to I reference that ever so briefly. It's pretty self-explanatory. At the beginning of every calendar year, we emphasize prayer. We cry out to God in our dependence as a church. And we also emphasize the need for God's word, including the need for his word personally throughout the year. And that's what this little insert is about. Two main points. Have a plan. Have a plan for your intake of God's word personally this year. We want to urge you not to leave it to happenstance. Just hope it happens. Have some intentionality for how God would meet you in his word. You could have a Bible reading plan. That helps me. There is now a static page on our website under the resources tab where you can find five different Bible reading plans. And there are a, there's just a plethora of, of other options, but those are five that give you some, some ideas on our website. Or do like many of you do. I know my wife does this. I believe Eric Lemkiel does this. Just park yourself in a book of the Bible and soak in it and benefit from it thoroughly. Have a plan and then have a practice. We frame this a little bit differently this year. Pray for illumination. Read and, and meditate. Think on God's word. Some questions to help you do that. And really then commune with God as you respond to his word in prayer, etc. That All of that is on our website, and it does relate to what we're going to talk about today somewhat. I just want to urge you not to read the Bible for mere information, but for transformation as you commune with Jesus. All right, Exodus 16, we have been alternating between sections in the book of Revelation and sections in the book of Exodus. We're doing so intentionally to, to glean from different genre in Scripture, different types of literature in Scripture, and to glean from both Old and New Testaments and yet, there is, there is a wonderful thematic connection of seeing God ruling and reigning over all for his glory and your good, which should build our faith, directing our hearts and minds to him. And so let's ask the Holy Spirit for that illuminating work this morning. And then Mindy's going to read our passage in Exodus 16. Holy Spirit, we ask you in the words of the psalmist that you would open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts, open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law, your Torah, your instruction, we pray. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 16, 1 through 36. So fasten your seatbelts. It's long. They, the people of Israel, set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, 
after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning... You shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, finest frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever ever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But... They didn't listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning. It bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them.
Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for good listening. <laughs> Thank you for reading, Mindy. Isn't that a ministry? Yeah. We love the public reading of God's word. Imagine the scene with me, please. We were rescued from slavery in Egypt just a little more than a month ago. And do you remember? It was amazing, wasn't it? It was incredible, extraordinary. God's judgment came upon the firstborn of the Egyptians, but his judgment passed over our firstborn just because we had the blood of a lamb on our doorposts and lintel. It was amazing. And then, well, Pharaoh and his army chased after us. Do you remember that? They were hounding us, but God parted away through the seas. And we went through, do you remember, on dry ground. And then God drowned our pursuers. What, what a rescue we've enjoyed. What a deliverance. And now, well, now we're on the way to that land promised to granddaddy Abraham. 
the promised land. Uh, we, we hit some, some bitter water uh, recently. We grumbled some. God made the water sweet. All, everything's better now. And we've been camping very pleasantly among the palm trees and springs at Elam. But now we're on the move again for some reason. We're heading into the wilderness of Sin, which actually is from related to the name Sinai, not Sin itself. Life feels very confusing in the wilderness. And slavery as difficult as it was, had one thing going for it. It had its routine, its predictability. Now that predictability is gone. We don't know where we're going, when or why for a single day. We're led by a pillar of cloud and fire. Listen, the wilderness for us, is it not a place of confusion? And we are wondering, what is God up to here? Can you relate to that in your own life? You should. The New Testament describes Christians as sojourners. Sojourners and exiles. We're sojourners, pilgrims, people passing through the wilderness of this world. We're told, in fact, these things were written down as examples for our instruction. Yours and mine. Because God brings us into similar times of confusion. Similar places of suffering. Of perplexing circumstances. And disappointments. Where is the wilderness for you right now? Where in your life are you wondering, what is God up to? This doesn't make sense. These things were written down, like I said, for our instruction. So let's ask this as we come to Exodus 16. Let's ask, what is God here teaching us about our own sojourn? What is God intending for us to learn for our instruction as we pass through the wilderness of this world from this particular passage. Well, we see the lesson through a contrast. The, the nature of the passage, the structure, is really a contrast. A contrast between faithless grumbling and a faithful God. It's a contrast between faithless grumbling and a faithful God. Let's see first the faithless grumbling. The faithless grumbling. Look back to verse 2, please. We read, And the whole congregation of Israel, of the people of Israel, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord, Yahweh, in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. The whole congregation is here grumbling. It seems like it's more so than the last time. And they're longing for the meat pots and bread to the full. They used to have in their times of slavery. And they accuse Moses next. 
of trying to kill them, kill them with hunger out in the wilderness. They say, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly, the whole lot of us, with hunger. Now, it doesn't seem, from what we're told at least, that anyone is actually starving to death. And they do have flocks and herds, if necessary, to tap into, I suppose. But there, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surmise, is a legitimate fear of some real possible hunger at a minimum. But it's for good reason. For good reason that scholar Carmen Imes says, the wilderness is a place of becoming. The wilderness is a place of becoming. God has his people in this place where they've lost all predictability. Things are most clearly out of their control and they're wondering. It would seem fearful about the most basic needs of life. What is God up to? Well, he tells us in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, their daily bread. A day's portion every day. Here's the purpose. You see it? That I may do what? You see it in the passage? That I may test them that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, God's test here doesn't mean a, a pop quiz, hoping you'll fail. This is God training his people. That's the point. God training his people, like, like a parent does with their child. A, a parent will patiently train the child a little bit at a time Here's how I want you to use your fork. Here's how you can tie your shoes. And, and here's what general obedience looks like to mom and dad. That's what Yahweh is doing, parenting an entire nation. Teaching, training, parenting his people to walk in the good of the gift of his law. As we'll see. But the people are not responding well to the training, the test, are they? They grumble a lot. That's a clear focus of the passage. We're told numerous times about their grumbling. Now, a couple of thoughts there. This grumbling, it is different from your run-of-the-mill complaint, I would submit. I often complain to my wife. I share what is troubling me or bothering me or when I don't feel well, because she wants to know. And I, I want to tell somebody, but she wants to know so she can carry that burden with me and care for me and help me. Grumbling is not the run-of-the-mill complaint that we might have. Grumbling is also not a lament, this grumbling here. We are supposed to lament things. The most common type of psalm in the Bible is a lament. We have an entire book of the Bible devoted to lament, the book of lamentations. God wants us to lament. It's sharing his heart. 
for the pain and, and brokenness and injustice of the world that we experience ourselves. So this grumbling, this grumbling is not that either. To catch a sense of this grumbling here, look, at, look back to verse 3. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 3 says, would that we had died. <laughs> would that we had died by the hand of the Lord, Yahweh, in the land of Egypt. And we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Would that God would have killed us back there. Instead of bringing us here where we miss the meat pots. I wish I had died before losing the bread I had in Egypt. I'd, I'd rather have that. Forget the whole Passover thing. Forget the whole rescue through the sea thing. Do you see what they're doing? I mean, they're repudiating God's rescue. And in doing so, repudiating the relationship he has made with them. Thereby repudiating God himself. That's not your run-of-the-mill complaint. This comes out more so beginning in verse 6. And I want you to remember that the Lord, Yahweh, in all caps in your Bibles, that's the covenant name for God, the name by which he revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, the great I am, right? And God said, I am who I am. The covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Now, verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know it was the Lord, Yahweh. From Exodus 3, the great I Am, the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Him, in the morning you shall see the glory of Yahweh, the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling. Notice, what's it say? Against the Lord. Do you see that? Against the Lord. And he explains, for what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord Yahweh gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full. Isn't that what they were longing for in verse 3? Man, remember that in Egypt we had bread to the full? Look what he says here. In the morning you'll have bread to the full. Because Yahweh has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against Yahweh, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God who has rescued them and brought them into this relationship with him. So God is testing them. He's training them. He's parenting them into obedience, you might say. But at its core, friends, at its core, this is about training their faith. You could caption the whole wilderness journey as God training a people to trust him. I think that's a fair caption. God training a people to trust him. And listen, your journey in the wilderness of this world is quite similar. It's remarkably similar. God's parenting work in your life is very much the same. Do you remember James chapter 1? Count it all joy, my brothers, 
when you meet trials, trials of various kinds, why? Why would I do such an insane thing? For you know that the testing of your faith, the training of your faith, the refining and strengthening of your faith produces perseverance. So God brings you and me also into places that require greater degrees of trust and greater degrees of dependence, that place of becoming, Carmen Imes said, that place of confusion. Again, I ask you, where is that for you right now? Where is that for you? Oh, I think you have something in mind. I do too. It might be that place of suffering, that place of perplexing, confusing circumstances where just things don't add up, that place of disappointment in your life, that place where certain dreams are dying, that place where it seems to you like God is absent. If you're honest with yourself, you'd say, it seems like he doesn't care. That place where maybe you're tempted to charge his character, as they do here, or feel sentimental about your former slavery before Christ. Friends, right there is the test. And I think the question here is, will you allow God to train you there? Will you allow God to lovingly parent you there? Will you allow God to, in his love, refine and strengthen your faith right there? And the key for that is the second part of the contrast. Having seen the faithless grumbling, let's see, secondly, the faithful God. Let's see, secondly, the faithful God. The most surprising thing in this passage, I think, is that God gives them what they grumble about. Did you notice that? Now, on the other side of Sinai and the gracious giving of God's gift of his law, the consequences for their grumbling do get more severe. But here, God just gives them what they grumble for. Notice notice why. Look at verse 11. Skip down to verse 11. And the Lord... Yahweh, the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat. Remember, they're going, oh, the meat pots of Egypt. Now God says, at twilight you're going to eat meat. In the morning you shall be filled. There it is again. Filled with bread. Why? Then you shall know that I am Yahweh. Notice what it says next. Your God. Your God, not just God out there who cares less about you. Your God. Here's what God is after for them and and for us. To know that God is your God. He knows and loves you. You see, friends here, grumbling meets grace that they would know that God is faithful. So notice again what he does. Pick it up in verse 13. 
In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning, dew uh, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? (laughs) What is that? What is that? I don't know. What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, I love this. He has to explain it. Uh, That's the bread. (laughs) It's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. You know, sometimes God's provision isn't what we were hoping for. I think that's a whole other sermon. Sometimes he provides, but it isn't what we wanted him to provide. Well, regardless, God provides quail for one evening, and every single morning, their, their daily bread, this, this, this frost-like flake. And in, in, in verse 15, they say, what is it? Which is how we derive the term manna from the Hebrew for what is it. So they don't get what they're looking for exactly. They get, Moses says, the bread, the bread God's given you, the what is it bread? What is it? And each person can gather just the right amount for themselves, for what they need, for what they need for that particular day. Every day this happens. The quail, it seems, is one, a one-time deal. Every day is enough manna for you to gather for what you need, you and your family, that particular day. But, 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 on the sixth day, God provides double, he says, so that you can rest the next day and don't have to go scavenging out for more manna. The the seventh day is that Sabbath day of rest, holy to him. We'll come back to Sabbath when we hit it in the Ten Commandments. So two ways here God promises to be faithful. Daily provision, Sunday through Thursday. On Friday, double, double the amount so that you can rest on Saturday, their Sabbath, but some fail the test. And they fail the test in two ways. I think I would label them hoarding and anxiety. In verses 19 and 20, some try hoarding the manna. Did you catch that? They want to collect more than one day's stuff. Let's stockpile it. Let's fill the pantry. Let's get a Costco-sized container of manna. The Omer deal is not enough. It's about a half a gallon. And the manna spoils. It smells. It breeds worms. That's a vivid lesson. Hoarding is an expression here of unbelief. You didn't believe God would give you your daily bread, enough for what you need for the day. Now, that doesn't mean you and I should not save for the future. The command to not save the manna is not the same as the wisdom for saving for retirement, let's say. Don't confuse the categories. But hoarding is the lesson It says, despite what God has promised, I need more and more and more and more. I've got to store up as much as I can for me, myself, and I only. I can't be generous. I can't give. I've got to store up for myself. 
Hoarding is one way they fail the test. The other I would label as a form of anxiety. Now, it's important to say here, anxiety can be multifaceted. The ladies did a great retreat on this. Anxiety can be multifaceted. Many factors, physiological, emotional, can factor into our various experiences of anxiety, okay? Can be multifaceted. But, listen closely, anxiety can be, can be rooted in some ways we are not trusting God. I didn't say it always is, I said it can be. So in verses 27 and 28, you've got people, verse 27 rather, who seem to be anxious about tomorrow. They go out looking for manna on the Sabbath when God said it's not going to be there, folks. Seems like they're sort of consumed with the what-if questions. What if God didn't give me enough on Friday to get me through the Sabbath? What if I get the stinky worms in the afternoon of the Sabbath? What if God doesn't provide tomorrow after the Sabbath? Has anyone thought about that possibility around here? Can you relate to that? What if? What if? What if? You know, you can be anxious whether you have a lot or a little. Anxiety is very adaptable. You can be wealthy or be in great need and be anxious. You can be settled in your career or a student hoping to get a job and be anxious. Either way, in both hoarding and anxiety here, obedience requires faith. Obedience required them to trust God. Remember, that's what God is doing. He's training a people to trust him. Either way, obedience requires faith. So I want to ask you, which of these two is the greater test for you right now? Just try to make a personal connection. Which of the two is the greater test for you? The hoarding test, maybe, of I need more, must have more, got to get me some more, can never have enough? Or the, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? Well, what about this over here? Which for you is the greater difficulty? Friends, right there is where God is training you, parenting you, parenting you. calling you to daily faith in his constant faithfulness. That's how I would frame the lesson we're to learn. Daily faith in his constant faithfulness. That's the point of the contrast, isn't it? Between the faithlessness and the faithful God, it's a call from God to daily faith in his constant faithfulness. Now, <coughs> excuse me, what does that look like, you might wonder? I can't really tell you. I don't know your situation. I don't know exactly how God is parenting you. 
But it involves at least two things. It involves at least promises and prayer. At a minimum, daily faith is stoked by, helped by, gets expressed by believing God's promises and bringing our needs to him in prayer. We don't have promises of manna showing up in the grass tomorrow morning, but we do have promises from Jesus, for instance, to help us trust God and exercise faith. He says, Matthew 6, your father feeds the birds. You are much more valuable to him than a bird. He says, your father clothes the grass with wildflowers. They're alive today, gone tomorrow. Won't he clothe you? He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things, food and clothing, will be added to you as well. He says, don't fear. The hairs of your head are numbered. You can't number your hairs. He can. Similar to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, he promises God's help for us to be content. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret, notice, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Look, there's no foolish prosperity teaching here. To catch what the apostle says, I know plenty and hunger. I know abundance and I know need. But then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God can strengthen you, friends. He can meet you. He can help you in the midst of hunger and need, plenty and abundance, to be content in him. The apostle goes on to say in the same chapter, my God will supply your every need, not want. I wish it said want. It says your every need, every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So God promises he'll be faithful to meet you. And secondly, Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us to pray, actually, <clears throat> very likely in light of Exodus 16. Very likely he's, ex he's echoing verse 4 in Exodus 16 when he teaches us to pray Give us this day our daily bread. Now, prayer is an acknowledgement of daily dependence. Prayer is an expression of faith that way, isn't it? It's saying, Lord, I, 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 you invite me to bring you my needs, my real physical needs. I'm doing that, believing you hear me and you're faithful. So God's promises and prayer her daily faith in his constant faithfulness. But a couple more things here. This passage, it, it sort of shoots off on a, theo a theological trajectory beyond our physical needs. The need for manna is going to, at the end of their wilderness journeys, point to the need for food for our souls. I want to read you this passage briefly in Deuteronomy 8. We find Moses teaching the people. We might not have that, perhaps. And I can read it to you, and if that's okay. Oh, there we go. Moses says, you have one before that? Yes. 
That's the one. Thank you, Kelly. You shall remember the whole way. So now this is Moses' farewell address, farewell sermons, about to enter the promised land. You shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you, there it is again, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. Isn't that interesting? The need of our bodies is supposed to show us the need of our souls. The need for daily bread is to remind us to feast on his word. He says we need every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's why you have that insert. But the manna does even more than that. It points to your greatest need of all. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds thousands of people miraculously, and then they pursue him, he says, for more bread. He kind of calls them out, and he says, don't work for the food that perishes. Work for the food that endures to eternal life by believing. And catch this. They said to him, Jesus, well then, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. There it is. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now catch this. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you, gives you now, holds out to you now, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see what Jesus does with the manna? He says it points ultimately to him. He says, eat manna. It'll sustain you for a little while. Eat the true bread from heaven. You'll enjoy life in Christ forever. In fact, he goes on to say, the bread that I will give you I'm sorry, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh, my body, given up on the cross for our sins. Friends, Exodus 16 points beyond our physical needs to our ultimate need of salvation in Jesus. Jesus is the bread we feast on by faith, the bread we most need for true life in him. It means all that you most need is found in Jesus Christ. All that you most need is found in Jesus Christ. Daily faith in God's constant faithfulness. So let us believe his promises. Let us bring to him our real needs in prayer. Let us feast on his word. But friends, let us ultimately feast on the bread of life the true bread from heaven, Jesus Christ. He is all you most need. Let's pray together. And as we do so, I want to give you a moment to respond, maybe in the silence of your own heart, 
You might close your eyes for the purpose of concentration if you'd like. And respond to what the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about. That place of need for daily faith in God's faithfulness to you. Or maybe feasting on the true bread from heaven, Jesus. For your salvation, you can come to him surrendering to him, declaring your need for forgiveness of your sins, and trust in his life, death, and resurrection. Feast even now on the true bread from heaven. Let's pray the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith and wherever that's needed for you right now. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this trip into the wilderness that we can so relate to. Would you help us, help me, help us to cultivate a daily faith of dependence, knowing that you are constantly faithful to your people in plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You can meet us, and you will. And Lord, I pray for any also who have never tasted the ultimate bread of life. You would give them that taste even now by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.